Hello, and welcome to Warhammer 40K's Grim History from the Beyond. I'm Zekthar. And I'm Yuxen. And we are the chroniclers of all that was, and all that will be, the 41st millennium. We've seen the rise and fall of many empires, and this week, we will be looking to those short, hairy fellows that dwell around the galactic core. The Leagues of Otan. Yes, these small individuals go by many names across the galaxy. Squats, Demiurge, Craig, Grom, and Space Dwarves. But to the people of the leagues, they are simply known as the Kin and the Iron Kin. Quite right, Dukes. And this month, we will be discussing how the Kin deal with the other species of the galaxy, as well as discussing their own personal views, combat doctrine, and technology. I can't wait, Sektar. Well, where should we start? Well, this week, Yuxin, I figured we could talk about those mighty heroes of Otan, but... Perhaps instead we should talk about their greatest hero of Votan, Uthar the Destined, and perhaps the most notable leagues of the Votan? Awesome. But let me add, if you find listeners like our stuff, please subscribe, follow, like, and comment on our boxes. Yes, and if you have any questions, feel free to ask those too, and perhaps we will answer them on our box at the end of the month. Righto, Zektar. So, tell us about Uther. <laughs> Wait, Yuxin, aren't you forgetting about Bob? Nope. Uh, okay, well, to those of you who have been listening, our trusted android Bob fell ill to a live fire exercise with a flamethrower, and we need your help getting him running again. If you wish to help, just click the link on any of our descriptions on Spotify, and that money will go to helping Bob straight away. <clears throat> you mentioned Uther the Destined. <laughs> of course I did, dear brother. After all, he is the greatest kin in all the galaxies, at least in this millennium. Uther was born to the Greater Thurian League's kindred of the Vortun in the hold of the Absid Gate on the day of strange omens. Nefane, the Grimnir, watched with wonder as the Votan put forth a spontaneous screed of prophecy. The information was muddled, printed in ancient data scripts few kin now comprehend. Arguments raged about its true meaning, but it seemed to imply that one amongst the days newly cloned was meant for some great task. Meanwhile, the mechanisms of the Hold's Forge swung into motion without any of the Brokir's command and produced a magnificent plasma blade. At the same time, clues in the Votanic prophecy led the Grimnir to the newborn Uther's crucible. Thus, by the end of his first bewildering day of life, Uther had been proclaimed as the destined, and the miraculous blade of the ancestors was bestowed upon him. He has striven to live up to the expectation of the ancestors ever since. And that has been a tall undertaking ever since. <laughs> ever since his birth, he has pushed himself harder in the almighty name of duty. He has explored, soldiered, and endured hardships to make even a Chthonian berserk wince. Through it all, Uthar has displayed uncanny good fortune that some have attributed to the aid of the ancestors. If Uthar's actions sometimes seem cruel, his comrades simply attribute this to the pressure of greatness destined for him. Besides, Uthar's ready gallows humor and down-to-earth persona helps to cover up his colder side. They also conceal a hidden worm of doubt. This doubt has gnawed on the destined since his earliest days, forcing him to question if the prophecies were correctly understood by the Grimnir, and if it was, whether he can ever be ready for such a momentous yet ineffable task. Ultimately, Uthar is kin, and thus able to push his fears aside in favor of duty. He swore long ago to himself that he would make his ancestors proud, whether they asked it of him or not. Now, Yuxin, when I think of Uthar, 
The one battle that comes to mind is the Battle of Orgavar. Do you know of this battle? I do indeed, brother. Mind if I set the stage for you? <laughs> Why, not at all. It shall be a story for the ages, when the two brothers come together for one epic chronicling. Okay. Well, I don't know about that, but with the emergence of the Great Rift shook the leagues of the Votan to their foundations. Now, the Great Rift took place at the end of the 41st millennium, and it was a terror in reality and a raging galaxy-wide series of warp storms as essentially rent the territory of the Perium of Man. Needless to say, it sliced through the galactic core, causing much destruction for the Votan. Holds vanished amidst the rolling energies of the newborn warp storm belt. Trade routes were severed. May Kindred were compelled to relocate their holdings, abandoning their territories held for thousands of Terran years, and venturing out from the galactic core to seek more stable regions to settle. Both within the core and beyond its fringes, the Rift's advent has driven the kin into new conflicts, as well as stirring up old foes and setting them on a collision course with the Leagues. The kin do not recognize or name the Great Rift as a single manifest phenomena. Really? No. They believe that to do so would lend further su superstitious menace to a threat that is already menacing enough. Okay. They choose instead to name the greatest of the component warp storms that have opened within the Gothic Core, creating each as a separate peril to be weathered and overcome. Ah. So instead of looking at it like one problem, they diced it up into a bunch of smaller problems. Yes, far more like kin, and far more logical. But one such raging empiric maelstrom opened upon the northeastern fridge of the Great Thurian League space, and was soon named Orgver, roughly translated into High Gothic as the Ogre. The Void Strider kindred and the Lockyer's kindred were swallowed up in the instant of its opening. Their pan-spectral rays gave some small forewarning, and so the ragged flotillas of kin refugee ships from the fringes of warp storm Orgver, solar days after its emergence, their passengers telling of the holds dissolved into raw madness or overrun by de howling demons. Close on their heels came ravening chaos war fleets, sailing the void and warships and monstrous space hulks. They fell upon the great Thurian star system storm zone. As more chaos wor worshippers poured out of the Orgver, by the solar days it became clear to the great Thurian League that a terrible new threat had been unleashed upon their holds. Those kindreds! whose holds lay direct in the invader's path now faced a difficult choice. To hold their ground against Onslaught or to fall back in the face of growling enemy strength. Exchanging messages as best they could via hardened LASCOM relays, the hearthspakes of the Deep Rock Kindred, the Kindred of Wartoon, called Starbreaker Kindred, and Kindred Crimson II, all elected to hold fast. The Grimnir interfaced in their fanes with the greater Thurian Votan, asking that it communicate their plight to the wider league and begging its advice. Swift merchant craft and scout ships plunged into the warp, bearing the same messages to neighboring kindreds. 
those facing an invasion would stand firm until the will of the Votan and the League could be made known, or until their defiance was just too costly to maintain. Meanwhile, the ravaging hordes of chaos blazed a trail of havoc towards the Thurian hold worlds that lay in their path. I believe Uthar comes into the story at this point. Hugh Zektar. <clears throat> By a stroke of good fortune, Uthar the Destin had recently returned from the Absid Gate, and ever the dynamic hero of his people, Uthar convinced the kindred of Vortun, Hearthspake, that they could not afford to simply mass behind their defenses and await the enemy's onslaught. To do so, handed all strategic initiative and opportunity to the invaders, and would abandon outlying facilities, resources, and personnel to their murderous intentions. Uthar's voice carried the day, and the Kinhels broke into a number of oath bands. Some would remain to garrison the Ubsid Gate, while the rest would sally forth under the command of Uthar and the prominent Thurian heroes to launch counterattacks against the incoming Chaos Invaders. Their role would be to slow the enemy wherever possible, to evacuate all strategic resources, and along with Iron Kin and Kin, and to destroy any facilities they could not rescue so as to deny their use to the foe. Uthar's oath band deployed to the outlying Kin world of Torg. Riven by standard years of deep core tectonic mining, Torg was a hostile mass of jagged stone, exposed magma veins, convulsing supervolcanoes, and kin harvester fortresses, wreathed in toxic fumes. Several immense renegade warships had already settled in the vulnerable world's orbit and disgorged warbands of heretic Astartes to the surface. Mutated chaos space marines of the Purge and the ferocious corn-worshipping world eaters had overrun Torg's void docks and cut bands of the Chthonian guild miners off within their harvester fortresses, swiftly casting the eye of the ancestors over the dire strategic situation. Uthar formulated his battle plan and set his forces into motion without delay. Meanwhile, in space, the warships of Uthar, under the command of Voidmaster Hammock, fought the corn worshippers. Although being a small fleet compared to the vast chaos hordes, the plucky Hammock used hit-and-run tactics that kept the enemy at bay. Unfortunately, it was not enough because the Chaos Fleets were able to drop supporting troops onto the ground, but it was far less than the war hosts on the ground expected. She was even able to send fighters planet-side to drop bombs on the warbands. Make no mistake, folks, Hemek is a crafty and wise naval commander. Now on the ground, Uthar separated his forces into several smaller oath bands and then launched a massive offensive on the world's Shatterfields. Uther himself led an armored spearhead against the world eaters commanded by the Chaos Lord Hekatar, while Kal Shvek Thurkan and her oath band met the purge head on. As orbital fire from both sides rained down onto the planet's surface, the two swirling battles erupted into a storm of close-range firefights and brutal offenses. While the foe were engaged to the north, Grimir Khon led an elite force of Einhir and Hearthkin to evacuate the Chthonians of Harvester Fortress 2, 3, and 4. Guildkin and great quantities of raw materials were loaded aboard the Hecaton land fortresses and the armored carriages they drew behind them. Sensing their prey escaping, the Chaos Lord Urthok Skullripper led a massive teleport of World Eater Chaos Terminators that cut the Grimnir and her bodyguards off, even as the Ken forces were pulling out. Though many Chthonian berserks turned back to hurl themselves into the fight, the living ancestor could not be rescued. The surviving Chthonians and many of the Hearthkin have since formed a grudge band of Khon, 
and they will exact vengeance on Uthak Skullripper or die trying. Meanwhile, Uthar the Destined met the Chaos Lord Hakatar of the World Eaters upon the stone span bridging the Chasm of Embers. The two warlords battled back and forth along the crumbling expanse as their warriors fought and died around them and pillars of volcanic fire blasted up from below. The cries of dying warriors egged the corn warlord forward, frothing at the mouth, hungry for the kill. Slicing Uthar across the leg, he brought the wounded kin down to a knee. Howling in triumph, Hakatir savored the victory. Wounded, but unbowed, Uthar heard the cries of his dying warriors, and it brought resolve and grim determination to him. And using all the speed he could muster, struck forth at the champion's right leg with his blade. Taking the leg clean off, he pitched the still howling with fury champion into the flames below. When all could be salvaged from the planet, Uthar ordered a falling retreat. Howls of accusation of cowardice from the corn worshippers followed the retreat, yet they meant nothing to the kin. Although it was worth extracting from the planet had been recovered, and any remaining assets were deemed not worth the cost of lives to salvage. Voidmaster Hemmick gave the enemy flotilla a final devastating volley to scatter their formation before commanding a plunge back into warp space. The tragic death of Grimnir Kholm. Aside, the Torg offensive had proved successful, but the wider war zone surrounding warp storm Orgvar was becoming more fraught with violence by the solar hour. Now, brother, what say you about Uthar's character? Well, he kind of fits the profile of what kin are. Yes, he's Focus a sturdy space dwarf. <laughs> more on logic than he does on emotions. You think so? When it comes to, well, when it comes to in general, for example, instead of going, we must wipe them all off the face of this planet because, you know, they killed somebody or other. No, right. he's just like, no, we should pull back because any further fighting is not. So what he's saying is that he, he doesn't, he doesn't let his emotions um, rule over his tactics. Yes. Okay. I got emotions you. don't rule over. Probably the only people of the kin that generally do have that happen during war is probably the Chthonian berserk, but as the title sort of gives, they're berserkers. So, uh, yeah, but the, okay. So I actually was doing a little bit of research on the Chthonian berserk. Um, by the way, they're not called berserkers. They're called the berserk. Um, I know. I said that. I know, I know. I'm just, I'm just saying for those that are listening, they're not, they're not typical like berserkers. They're not like what we think anyways, when you think of berserkers. I mean, like for instance, when you think of berserkers normally in Warhammer 40k, you think of like, for instance, corn worshipers, right? They even have yeah. troops that think that are actually called berserkers or the, uh, um, the guys that we covered anyways are the space wolves. Um, the, uh, the wolf, the wolfen. Okay. Where it's just kind of like they become the, like this animalistic killing machine, right? Okay. Uh, the Chthonian Berserk, on the other hand, anyways, they're they're actually not like that. They're actually uh, miners that have taken their weapon, uh, taken their 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 mining equipment, anyways, and turned it into weapons. They're almost they're almost like a um, they're almost like militia, if that makes sense. Okay. No, I'm just saying they're. When you, when normally when you hear like berserk or berserker or something like that, you think of somebody that's like completely out of control, right? Um, or moderately out of control. 
yeah, these guys are actually significantly much more in control than you would think with the name of Berserk. But anyways, we're kind of getting far afield anyways. We're talking about Uther, who is not a Chthonian Berserk. And and his weapon anyways is one of those plasma blades that you talked about last week, right? It's not one it's, of the like really dark ones. Yeah, it's um, the... Oh, what's it called? Hold on. Oh no, I asked a question that got him back into his chronicling. <laughs> his history books. Well, while Euxin looks that up, I think Uthar, like like you said, uh, Euxin, I think Uthar is kind of the pinnacle of what the kin expect themselves to be. Stoic, sturdy. They don't they don't fall into emotional traps. They're more tactical and logical with what they do. It doesn't mean that they don't have emotions and it doesn't mean in any ways that they don't even fall prey to uh, the worst parts of their emotions. I mean, we take anyways, like for instance, these Chthonian berserks anyways that form in Hearthkin that form a grudge band of Cone. Uh, their whole mission now anyways, just, just to simply kill Skull Ripper or Splitter. Splitter? Ripper. 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 Okay. It's something though that... Splitter, that would probably be an orc name. I was about to say, actually, that name, anyway, sounds very orcish. But then again, that kind of goes hand in hand with the the corn worshippers, right? They kind of tend to have a lot of names, anyways. That you'd be like, you could probably put that on with an orc. But tell me, brother, we've been talking about Uthar before we get into his uh, his 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 league and the kindred of his league, the Greater Thurian League. Did did you actually find what you were looking for in your books? Just this called the Blade of the Ancestors. So is it like plasma oriented or? Yeah. It's it, okay. So it is a plasma it's weapon. Dark. It's not one of those. <laughs> not dark star. Not dark it's, star. It's, yeah. Okay. Well, well, actually that kind of makes sense because if he cut off that one guy's leg anyways, he just would have died if it was a dark star weapon. <laughs> there would yeah. have been no scream. It would have just been like, and you're dead. But anyways, uh, could you tell us a little bit anyways about the greater Thurian league? Well, the Greater Thurian League is a massive league of Votan, more commonly known as the GTL. Sounds like a corner. One of the original founding leagues, the GTL consists of over 200 allied kindred. Between them, they boast vast fleets of ships and huge armies of kin host warriors. Huge and wealthy guilds such as the Ingvari, Combined Logistics, the Star Striders Mercantile Confederation, and the Chthonian Guild of Kadok see the League's continued and immense prosperity. The GTL have long ventured outside the Galactic Core, whether to trade, explore, or fight as mercenaries and prospects. Recently, they have settled into the neighboring Marsalis and Sepulchre sectors outside of the Core. The remit of these forces is to claim new worlds for those dispossessed by the Great Rift or fight back chaos invaders vying for the core. Though its forces are spread far and wide, the Greater Thurian League consolidates on the home front while forging forward to claim new lands for the kin that have been dispossessed by the forces of chaos. Members of the GTL tend toward the core kin values of trading and prospecting and are known and respected for being especially mercantile. While other leagues focus on different qualities of being kin, the GTL have a deep pride of what it means to be kin. They honor the ancestors, and with that, they garner the respect of all leagues. 
Now, what do you think of these small fries, brother? I think that they think of themselves, at least anyways, very much like Uthar anyways. Just kind of like, this is what the canner is supposed to be. Now, if that's true or not, that's 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 a different story. But this is, they're a big enough league and they're, I think they're one of the original ones, right? Yes. They're one yeah. of the original founding leagues. Right. So, to me anyways, they're kind of like this is what you're supposed to be, even though a lot of other leagues anyways disagree with them. They're, they're big and they're first and <laughs> they're kind of like neener, neener. <laughs> I don't care what you think. This is the way it goes. I don't know. Well, what do you think? these guys? I mean, <laughs> to me anyways, that's just kind of, they're kind of like the standard unit, right? They're, they're kind of like the standard of what people think anyways that they can. Of the leagues of Botan. And well, judging by the fact that they have the largest territory as far as we can tell, it's kind of, they're probably the people that they most come in contact with. Like some of the towels, they generally come in contact with the different league more often. But the uh, Demurg, right? I believe that's the league that they come in know. contact with. I think it is. Let me. You no, know. that's the type of alien race. Uh, no, the different alien race, no, no, no. I should say. The Demurg. Yeah, no, the League of Demurg. Demurg? It's what it's what the Tau actually call the Ken. Because they misunderstood because <laughs> that was the league that came in contact with them. They're like, what are you? They're like, We're you know, we're the League of Demurg. And they say, Cool, you're the Demurg. No, we're the eh, never mind. It's <laughs> probably how that conversation went. Uh, Sarantok Mercantile League is primarily known for being the league to have trade most heavily with the Tau Empire. And then who are the Demurg? The Demurg are a random alien race that popped up. What? That we also have next to no information about. Hang on. No, 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 no. You're not getting away with this one. <laughs> yeah. Go ahead. Look it up. I'm going to. I'm, I'm doing it right now. Well, while Yuxin likes to use books, I use the computer. Yes, the Demurg are a militarized, resource-seeking expedition of the Leagues of Votan, known as a prospect, and they are allied with the Tau Empire. <laughs> yes, but are they specific league? Uh, the history <laughs> of the can of this Leagues of Votan prospect. What's a prospect? We didn't cover the prospects. What are prospects? Uh, prospects are the guys that decide we will be explorers and venture forth, be as peacemakers or traders or just to take over things. So I guess we were both right on that one? Yeah. Okay. So the people that trade most heavily with them is the Sarantok League. Well, it would make sense anyways that these prospectors would actually be part of that league. So the Demurg aren't actually a league amongst themselves. They're just prospectors of uh, said league by the sounds of it. Okay. Well, the Demurg are a misidentification. Well, yes, no. The they're, they're an expedition group. So I don't know. Maybe that's a guild of prospectors. They call themselves the Demurg. Maybe. I, I don't know. We'll have to look more into it. We'll, we'll, we'll have that answer for you fine folks anyways next week when we do questions and answers no we won't uh, <laughs> yes yes we will <laughs> no we won't i will figure it out for you fine folks <laughs> no matter what yuxin says 
<laughs> but anyways, what, what do you think of the GTL? I already said. Oh, you did? Well, yes. I was looking something up. Well, sorry, I must have missed later you said that well aren't they the ones that generally trade the most with the towel and that's why i came back with well actually no it's no, no, a different no. league and then we went on this tangent no 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 i'm asking anyways what you think of the gtl yeah and i was already talking about it and finished talking about it and then you were just like and yeah, don't they trade with the towel Okay, well, I was looking something up, so I didn't hear you. What did you say, Yuxin? <laughs> now I can't remember. Well, then what do you think? <laughs> you goob. Sorry, I'm sorry. Just, I said, I what think, do you think the of the GPL? They are the largest of, considered one of the largest, it's one of the ones that's come in the most contact with other races. And so basically how they act is what most people would think that the kin react in general. Ah. It's sort of like we see one of you, and since we haven't seen anybody else, we're going off of what you do. Right. Which, by the way, that kind of ties into what I was saying anyways about them, is that they're kind of anyways, they, they picture themselves as what the kin are. So it's actually kind of a good thing, I guess, anyways, that... They have the most contact with other people. By the way, I, I will find it interesting anyways, because out of all of them anyways, this group anyways is probably going to be the one that's going to butt heads with the Imperium first, I would think. Well, definitely not. To expand the, out of the Galactic Core a little bit more. Well, definitely not the URSR, but we'll get to that later. How about okay. you talk about the Cronus Hegemony? Hegemony, yes. Well, the Cronus Hegemony are like the violent sun that takes it a bit too far. Well, I think that we will both agree that the Great Arthurian League pulls more towards Athena and Terran 42's Greek gods. She's known as the goddess of war, tactics, and wisdom. The Kronos hegemony follows the path of Ares, also of war, but courage and savageness. It is said by the Kronos kin that there is no problem that cannot be solved with an axe. Interesting concept, but uh, they exist as a military superstate. Their kindreds muster some of the largest and most aggressive kin hosts known amongst the leagues of Otan. Nor are they sparing in their army's use, for the Kronos hegemony marches ever onward. Kronos kindreds must fulfill quotas of martial conquest and find the slightest excuse to launch into full-blown military invasions of alien-held star systems. Over time, the temperament of these kindreds have become far more aggressive and ill-tempered so that now there are few problems the kin of the Kronos hegemony will not seek to solve with violence. The kin of the Kronos hegemony are vaunted warriors who are expected to display exceptional feats of strength and skill in combat. They never hesitate to hurl themselves into the battle, and, the steeper the odds, the harder they fight to prevail. It has been suggested that many grudges declared by the Kronos kindreds owe as much to a need to justify costly conflicts as they do as general desire for vengeance. That said, the kin of the Kronos hegemony are notoriously stiff-necked and quick to anger. It takes little offense to see their swarms of gunships and armored transports go thundering into battle. Yet despite their hasty acts of war, many kin have had good cause to be glad of the Kronos, aid when beset by Xenos invaders. Entire orc wogs and mighty Imperial Crusades have been shattered by their massed kin hosts. Moreover, since the manifestation 
of the recent warp storms in the galactic core wrought by the birth of the Great Rift, the Kronos hegemony has wasted little time in their annexing territories belonging to various alien races. They cite the simple belief that the kin require them to survive and are therefore entitled to take them, preferably by force. Now, brother, before I stated the Greek gods of Terran 42, but don't these guys sound more like the Norse gods of Terran 42? Eager for war and thrust into bloodlust. Right? They seem similar to the Xenos known as the Orcs, looking for a good scrap. or the worshippers of corn? What do you think makes them different? Hmm? Well, first off, the worshippers of corn are just, they worship, well, not even death. They worship war, war basically. Blood, gore. blood god. Skulls for the yeah. skull. Exactly. And then orcs, it's literally their way of life. There is no, you know, trade or anything. It's just war. That's okay. all they want to do. So, so real quick, anyways, before you answer my question, anyways, about the the Kronos hegemony. So, what's the difference then between corn worshippers and orcs? I mean, they both literally live for battle, right? The corn live for this the um, spilling of blood right basically what they worship well then, orcs it's just fighting yes there may be gore and whatever but it's just the fighting that they want okay well corn worshipers it's not just the blood it's it happens to do with war they worship war and while the orcs on the other hand they don't worship war but it's literally anyways all they do all they do is fight and the worshippers of corn aren't worshiping war; they're worshiping the blood god, corn, corn, who is known as the god of war. So yes, it in fact so. Anyways, they are worshiping war. <laughs> I don't know. This sounds like actually kind of an interesting debate. Anyways, that we might have to have at some point in time, especially because you know we will be probably talking about like, for instance, the world eaters at some point. But right now, anyways, we are, I mean, we'll, we'll table that conversation for another time. What makes these guys, anyways, this this hegemony different? They seem very similar to me. Well, in the case of, for example, like I said, with worshipers of corn is more of a religious thing for one thing. Right. And also it's blood for the blood God. For orcs, though, in comparison to orcs is the fact that the Kronos hegemony, let's just put the this way, the Kronos hegemony could probably survive if they decide not to fight, whereas orcs pretty much, they would probably end up dying off because they just go, yeah, it's just ingrained <laughs> in them. Uh, they honestly couldn't. They would just end up killing themselves. Oh, yeah. each other. Well, and I would say the same thing anyways about the, the, the worshippers of corn too. If you literally just put them in a box... They would probably just end up killing each other because right. that's what they do. Um, so you're saying that for the blood god, I mean, right? <laughs> we need skulls for the skull throw. <laughs> so what you're saying kind of like that story where they're just like they know they're going to be overrun, so they end up murdering each other. I have not heard of that story. <laughs> yeah, it, it sounds like corn worshippers. So what you're saying is, is that the drastic difference between these three guys is, is that the simple fact anyways is, is that corn worshippers and orcs anyways cannot live without battle. You do think, though, that the Kronos hegemony anyways can. 
Well, I think corn worshippers, it depends on what corn worshipper you're talking about. Some of them, they could live without war, but they would just have to find a different way to, you know. Murder people? <laughs> murder people. Okay. Instead. I think you but... split the hair <laughs> but, but did I get your point right, though? You've got two groups anyways that cannot really survive without war. You've got one that you think anyways that if there was no war, they'd be begrudging about it, but they'd be fine with it. They would find other things to do, like mine, trade. Yeah. Okay. Well, um, and another one, it's it's ingrained in their religion, and so they would go so far as, for example, just killing each other right. to praise their god. Uh, whereas then, then you go to orcs and it's just what they were built to do. Right. And so that's what they do. They don't have anything else. I, I think another thing. In, fight. Right. I think another thing though, that is kind of interesting about these guys is that they're actually one of the newer major leagues of the Votan. And, and I think anyways, a lot of this aspect is, is that they almost feel like they have to catch up. And to do that anyways, they found the fastest way to do that is through warring and, and conquering. And I, who knows? Maybe anyways, you take another few more millennia and they might, you know, it might curb back a little bit. Or maybe they'll just go full tilt and actually end up splitting out away from the leagues of Otan. But who knows? We look at history anyways. We can kind of see anyways how paths widen. They can kind of close. With the uh, uh, with the leagues, anyways, they seem to be even though, anyways, they have a vastly different concepts of how they do things. They still remain to be fairly well knit, which to me, anyways, means that I don't think that they'll ever really break off. Just simply because, like, for instance, you were just saying, anyways, about the corn worshippers is like, well, if you put them in a box, they just eventually kill each other. I the concept of a kin killing another kin just because they're there. I think is so foreign to the kin yeah, that it's ridiculous as opposed to the other two that we were just talking about orcs. If you put a bunch of orcs in there, yeah, they probably end up killing each other too because they got bored. Uh, (laughs) So I I think it's actually kind of an interesting concept anyways of how, how they really differ from these two units, but we're going to talk about one more league of of Votan, and they're also fairly warlike, aren't they, Yuxin? Uh, Yeah, but for a slightly different reason. Right. And that would be the uh, URSR, right? The Urani Suture Regulates, which we will continue calling the URSR because it's so much easier to say. They are known to have a reputation for having incredible stoicism and self-reliance. Kindreds of the RSR have long held on to a swath of heavily contested and enemy-ridden territories in the southern reaches of the Galactic Core. On one border, they, they face the Necron Samnok dynasty. Uh, pardon me, brother. The Samnok dynasty? I'm, I've actually never heard of them. Who it's are they? Because the sole focus that they have right now, that their pharaoh has right now, is we need to take over the kin-held world. That's their entire focus right now. I'm assuming they're also fairly small. <laughs> Apparently. Okay. <laughs> They've got like maybe one or two worlds. <laughs> yeah. That's probably why I haven't heard of them. Sorry, but okay, I got it. Thank you. 
Anyways, from there, you had from the Shattered Stars, you have the raiding orc fleets of Bog the Free Buddha King. And in its northernmost Nostar cluster, Kyranid infestations. Other kindreds may have given ground to these foes, but the URSR refused to do so. Nor do they show any inclination to explain their apparent stubbornness to other leagues beyond asserting that their ancestors would abandon them should they retreat. Not to mention their love for the clear alcohol known as... Some Grenar believe that the Urani Suture guards some secret of great import or are privy to knowledge whose burden they shoulder alone. Others suspect that they are bound by rash grudges sworn by their forebears against their encroaching foes, and they must see this through whatever ends they meet. The most cynical claim that the kindreds of the URSR are simply too stubborn to admit their holdings are not worth the effort of defense. Or it's the alcohol that they brew on their homeworlds known as... The kin of the IRSR give no outward sign that they care what the rest of their race thinks of them. They admit new kindreds infrequently and then only after rigorous tests and secretive meetings about which the new applicants are oath sworn to never speak of. No kindred has ever left the URSR once admitted, though whether this is out of loyalty or some more sinister reason remains a no. Booze, Yuxin! It's because of the booze! I can't tell you! It's because of the... It is expected <sighs> that every kindred of the URSR main- maintain as large a population as they can, accepting an ascetic lifestyle with bare minimum of food, light, air, and heat in exchange for keeping their armies well-stocked. This selfless commitment to their cause is seen upon the battlefield when the URSR marches to war. Their kin are ferociously loyal to one another. So, brother, what are your thoughts on this strange leak? And don't say booze. But, but... uh, Okay, fine. Other than booze! Um... The other thing that I find interesting about these guys is the simple fact that they also are fairly militaristic, but for a completely different reason than the hegemony. These guys, they're just kind of like stuck there. It would be kind of interesting, actually, if they teamed up with the hegemony to try to like break off one side of one of these people that keeps trying to attack them. And that way gives them kind of a leg up. Um, Not only that, the other thing I find interesting anyways is the, uh, the Tyranids. From the Nostar cluster. What I find interesting about them, though, is is that the fact, anyway, is that they don't seem to act like Tyranids. Does that make sense? Or they keep trying to. Well, okay, so Tyranids, I mean, okay, so just nuts and bolts, anyways. Tyranids, anyways, they invade a planet. They take all the resources out. They give it back to the hive, anyways, and then they soldier on to the next planet. They literally take anything that is uh, uh, living. Pretty much. They suck it up in, right. into biomatter and they take off. These Tyranids, on the other hand, anyway, seem to be like nesting, which is different from what most Tyranids do, which to me anyways is interesting and, and slightly, honestly, Yuxin, slightly scary. I mean, what do you think? What do you think they're doing? Well, they could have just ran out of biomass and they're sitting there. Because, you know. <laughs> That's a good point. <laughs> Because, you know, if you think about it, all of a sudden, 
they conquer this thing, they consume all the bio life, and all that's left there is what? The iron can. Oh, wait. <laughs> we can't suck them dry. This thing can still attack us. What are we going to do? I don't know. So what you're saying is that this is what happens to Tyranids when they run out of resources? Probably. Uh, okay. Okay. <laughs> it's like, we got enough resources. We need to continue on, though. What's the closest? What's those guys over there? Well, what's the next closest? Okay, there, there, there's there's actually another hive unit that's doing this too, that is just bizarre, where that just seems like they're like fortifying planets, which doesn't make any sense for the Tyranid. But we'll we'll get into the Tyranids at some other time. We we are talking about the USSR. No, we're not talking about the USSR. <laughs> the URSR. Oh, sorry. Gave a lecture anyway to Sacrona a couple days ago about that. But ironically, they're actually fairly similar. Uh, <laughs> hardy people live in cold places. That reminds me, brother. I found Guthar. Guthar. I found Guthar. You found the who, the what, the where? Guthar. Uh, again, you've lost me. Who? Well, you know how we talked about the mole launcher? Uh, yep, yep. The launching of small rodents. Yes, I remember that last week. Well, I found the kin who invented it. You found the guy who invented a way anyways to launch small rodents? Indeed. Now, I know we've rarely allowed anyone into our humble abode, but I believe this is an exception we can't miss out on. Huh? But you're the one that's always telling me we can't invite people over. He may be able to fix poor Bob's retrieval issues while he's being fixed up. Okay, but Bob's not that bad. Although he has gotten substantially worse since you roasted him. Uh, I know I roasted Bob, and it was a terrible accident that he survived. Wait a minute. What did you say? I mean, it was a terrible accident that he survived. But you don't think he had a problem before that, really? Remember the time he brought the fully armed nuke? Yes, but we were able to easily deactivate it. You mean I was easily able to deactivate it, and we want him to get fireworks to celebrate he who shall not be named's birthday, not a nuke. Yes, but, but a nuke does give off a mighty explosion. It would have been a great firework. <sighs> really? That's what we are going with? Uh, uh, okay, fair enough, brother. I understand where you're coming from, but just out of curiosity, what are we paying this guy with? Why? The monies we have gotten from our listeners, of course. What else? <laughs> okay. Well, to those of you who have been listening, if you wish to help, just click the link on any of our descriptions on Spotify, and that money will go to helping Bob straight away and paying this Ken to do Indeed. so. Well, folks... That's all the time we have for today. Join us next week for our monthly questions and answers, where we answer any questions you guys have sent us. Please send your questions to our website at www.ashraka.com. That's www.ashraka.com. Indeed, Yuxin. And perhaps if we have some time left over next week, we will discuss some of the more prominent leagues within the Voton. Thanks for listening. Feel free to like, comment, subscribe, and follow. And as always, <clears throat> this is Zekthar and Yuxin signing off.